Hello, humans. Dan Bublitz Jr. here to tell you about my podcast, The Art of Bombing. If you're a fan of comedy and you enjoy listening to comedians' worst bombs, then you need to check out The Art of Bombing podcast as I sit down with comedians from across the world of all levels and hear about their worst bombs on stage and to find out what they learn from them to get better to find success through failure. Available every Tuesday wherever you listen to podcasts or at artofbombingpod.com. Hi, I'm Kim Duke, and I'm married to an addict alcoholic. Hi, Kim. Hi. Uh, my name's Chris, and I am an addict alcoholic. Hi, Chris. Uh, today, we're going to be calling a dear old friend of ours. She's been in the family for 15 years now, I want to say. Is she say. okay to say who yeah. she is? Okay. We're just not going to talk much about her specific family members. Okay. Um, aside from the, the people that we've already designated, so... Um, I'm going to go ahead and give them a call and uh, get this going. Hello. Hey. Hi. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Fantastic. Are you, are you ready to roll on your end? I think so. Let me just set this. Okay. That looks like that is recording. Fantastic. We got some technical difficulties out of the way. I, and I forget, are you comfortable with us saying your name? I think so. <laughs> I just won't say your last name. <laughs> sure, that's fine. As is custom in the attic community. Yes. Um, so, uh, Jackie, we're, we're super happy to, to have you talk with us. Um, we, we met a long time ago uh, via the church, and, and we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but for now, uh, let's, uh, let's start in with the, the questions if you're ready. I'm ready. <laughs> okay, so now ready the, as I'll ever be. <laughs> the reason why why uh, we're talking to you, for, well, for one, uh, you and your your husband have been uh, so wonderfully interactive with with the show, and um, I'm so glad you guys are doing this. And I've been so impressed with just how real and raw it can be. And I feel like those real stories of real people just really attract me. I love just figuring out people and what makes us all tick because <laughs> sometimes I don't even think we even know. So, yeah, it, that, that outside perspective on things definitely, definitely helps. Um, so and let's, let's dive in into your history a little bit, shall we? Sure. Um, so I would love to know kind of what your uh, childhood was like and uh, some of the events that led up to, the individual that was affected by addiction in, in your family? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, my mom was quite young when she and my dad, well, when they found out they were pregnant and I was born and they later got married before they had my sister. People tell me that they were, you know, in love and all of this. But for me, from my perspective, I only ever knew them as kind of miserable with each other. Um, I remember my mom trying to talk to me about, I think your dad and I are going to get a divorce. And I remember just breaking down and crying and thinking, why would you do this? And she didn't explain to me at the time. And I think that's probably why I was just 
besides being a kid and wanting to keep your family together, I was so angry. Um, and I was like, you can't do that. Like you do just, you can't do that. And then I don't really remember a lot of my childhood really well. But what I do remember is I remember there was a particular day where um, we were asked to leave the house and there were police involved and uh, my dad who had a severe drinking problem unbeknownst to me to be perfectly honest at the time and this was when I was eight years old seven or eight years old and my dad never lived in our house again after that day I think I was just really mad at my mom for making him go away <laughs> um, and she took us to visit him while he was in a halfway house and I can tell it was so hard for him like I think he once he realized he had a problem and he realized that he had broken up his family I remember him being really emotional all the time and um but anyway and it was so I just jumped right into this didn't I no that's <laughs> like, that's even... <laughs> exactly where I wanted you to go you you're, you're doing just great <laughs> anyway so then um yeah they started living separate lives and so for me my experience with growing up as a child of a parent who had a pretty severe addiction was that I don't, they did a really good job of keeping our childhood normal um, so that we were never exposed to like abuse or anything like that. And I feel really, really grateful for that because I know that sometimes those things can go hand in hand. Kim, do you, would you say that goes along with kind of the narrative that you, you see often in your line of work? Or that you've seen mm, in the past? I think it's 50-50. Yeah. 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 Maybe a little more, yeah. On on which side of things? Where parents are trying to protect the kids from things and yeah. try to keep them sheltered from all that? Uh, I No, it's 50-50. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. so then that's all and the maybe better. Maybe I just don't see those. I mean, the kids that I see, maybe they're not exposed to a whole lot. I feel like I don't, I guess I don't see a whole lot of that. And like intoxicated people coming into the ER, a lot of them, they're older and their families have completely disowned them. Oh. So. So there's yeah. already that disconnect. Yeah. I see. Yeah. But I also see extremes, but I mean, I guess, I don't know. So um, moving forward, um, when when did you regain a relationship with your father or did you maintain that relationship after he had left already? Right. So we maintained a relationship. I mean, I wouldn't say that it was particularly close just because I think we saw him a once a month. Like he went away to go to his treatment. Like he kind of left the city and after he got of the treatment center um, and he just kind of took some time away to start new a little bit. And I think for him, I haven't asked him this, but I feel like it was a chance to kind of start new and also to avoid a lot of the triggers so we're from a small town and so that was just the thing that people did in our small town there was nothing else to do there was one bar and you know grown-ups got babysitters and went to the bar or went to someone's house to party and that was just the culture in our small town and people didn't have a lot of hobbies <laughs> outside of that i don't think sure. um and i think that that's correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like that's also kind of a statistical thing that i've heard too that kids from like country towns um, oh, yeah. or smaller towns end up having more problems with alcohol. Oh, I think than... for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're both from small towns and I, yeah, like I yeah. could not believe the amount of partying. Like I wasn't involved in a whole lot of it, 
um, because I didn't hang out with a lot of kids from my hometown, but they were all like country partying, getting hammered when the parents were going out of town. Here in Becker, I would hear stories. It's crazy. I think there's a there's a sense of there's a time when to let loose. And so the parents kind of accept that, that, you know, kids are going to be kids mentality, not realizing um, that they're just mirroring what their parents are doing most of the time, right? They're getting liquor from their liquor cabinets. Or you would go to these small town graduation parties and the parents are supplying all the booze for these kids as long as you're giving them your keys, which blows my mind now as a parent. Like, heck no. Yeah, fuck that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I And I I will say that my mom um, was especially like responsible and she even protected us like after my dad left. She was so good about not saying anything bad about him. She drove us um, to the treatment center to visit him, you know, as often as we could. And she never said a bad thing about him for years and years and years, even though now I know more to the story and how awful and terrible and miserable it was for her. And I know that that again is not everyone's experience. I think that spouses of addicts can become very bitter and very frustrated and angry and um i think it's common to kind of talk poorly about the addict so yeah i think that also contributed to my you know more positive it's never positive to have an addict in your family and to divorce is never great sometimes it's necessary but there's just a lot of emotional stuff that comes with that. And for me, I feel like alcohol and divorce have become really tied together. Cause I think I, I always wonder like if my dad could have quit sooner or if I, I don't know, like if my mom would have spoke up sooner, I don't, I've not had a whole lot of conversations with my parents about how that was for them in real time, but I can only, can only imagine. It, it, so it would, is it just out of curiosity to know kind of where they were at? I think there are a couple of things, but one of my biggest things in life is I feel very compelled to try to understand someone even if I don't agree with them or I don't agree with their choices. And sometimes that takes a lot of digging <laughs> to really find oh, out, sure. like, especially when people are making bad choices. I feel like it can be hard um, to, to get to that point where you say, okay, I wouldn't make that choice, but I see why you've chosen to do that. And I understand you and I'm trying to connect with you. Like connectivity, I feel like is a really big thing. And now as a mom, you know, my mom had two young girls and I have two young girls and my oldest is just about the age that I was when my parents got divorced. And so it's kind of like, as I come through and as I'm experiencing life in that phase, I think I can just respect a whole lot more the choices that my mom made in a tough situation. And the other thing that I see um, is now that I have friends who are, you know, we're, we're grown adults and we're going through our own stuff. I have friends who are overcoming addiction and um, friends who are not doing so well with addiction and um, alcoholism is in my family it has been for multiple generations and so i see a lot of people around me struggling and i don't drink at all i used to i did in college for a long long time way more than i should have yeah (laughs) but getting back to your point i real quick before we go on um yeah i just i feel like 
since I respect my mom's choices so much and I respect my dad's choices so much, he went to treatment and he has been sober every day since. He is. He is such a hero to me, especially now seeing all of my friends and family that continue to struggle and who just go back to their addiction or seem to not even have a desire to want to stop. Like sure. he stopped that day and never went back and doesn't regret it. And he's healthy and happy and remarried. And I just, I love it. I love and respect him so much. And I know what a fight that must have been every day, especially in the beginning. I mean, you're almost a hundred days in and I'm sure you, you know, are still working to establish good habits. And so knowing that he overcame all of that and listening to your podcast and hearing about the rates of recovery and how low they are. Again, like I just, I love and respect my parents and the good choices and the good outcomes they were able to make out of a really unideal situation. Oh yeah. That's always interesting to me because there are so many people who, when it comes to like addiction back and I hate to say back in the day, but um, even 20 years ago, uh, maybe 30 years ago, I'll say, give it a little more time, but people quitting cold Turkey and like just biting the bullet and making it through that's yeah. so uncommon now. Like yeah. people are not able to, yeah. and I don't think that they realize that, um, you know, they could have died or any of the things that we now know. I think we live in a different culture now too, where people don't ask for help for any, I mean, people ask for help for everything now before yeah. you wouldn't like, if you had depression 20 years ago, you suck it up, yeah. get over it. Well, I mean, so you either, you either did that right and quit cold Turkey or you died. Like you drank yourself to death. Like yeah. I, I've, I've heard that so many times from my uncles talking about friends that they had that drank themselves to death. And what they're really saying is they destroyed their liver or is it pancreas? You can destroy your... Uh, it's your liver. But you, you uh, pancreatitis issues. is super common amongst alcoholics. Because yeah, it affects your lipase and all that. Yeah, yeah. So you, um, you, you drink yourself into di- in diabetes as well. It's pretty amazing that your dad did stay sober too, especially going through such a stressful thing while becoming sober. Like at that point he could have been like, well, I'm going through a divorce. It doesn't really matter. I'm just going to keep drinking. That's how I'm going to deal yeah. with it. So yeah. Like I'm not going to get to see my kids yeah. and yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I would be curious to know if, you know, if he thought, because I, I did meet people who had the thought that, okay, once I get sober, then everything's going to go back to normal. And mm-hmm. my wife will accept me. My kids will accept me. And there's kind of these these blinders on. I, I, I wonder if, if he had any moments of that. And when he realized yeah. that, that wasn't going to pan out, how he how he was able to power through that. Yeah. And I don't know what kind of um, expectations or what kind of, um, you know, narrative my mom was putting forth to him. Like, like, no way, no how, you know, like if he knew right from the get go that this this was it. Um, or if he did have, have a window he was hoping for, I, I don't know. And I haven't asked a lot of questions just cause I can tell it was so like, especially for my mom, she was, she was, you know, young, had these two young kids. She's trying to support us. And of course my dad having to go through treatment and things, um, you know, she was, she had all this financial responsibility all of a sudden, like Kim, I know that you had said in a previous podcast that that was some math that you were doing. Like, if this gets bad enough and I have to leave Chris, like, what is that going to look like? Like, can I support my family? You know, the spouse has all these, these things to throw in the balance. And 
Um, I've never asked them about it just because I can tell it was just really, really hard on her and she doesn't want to go back and it was a hard time in her life. And mm -hmm. I don't ask my dad about it very much because I don't want to, it just feels like dragging him back into it. Like, sure. I just feel like he deserves to live in this new future that he's created. And we all have a healthy <laughs> relationship and I just don't want to disrupt that. But. Sure. I wonder, I, I mean, I know this is always unique to the individual, but sometimes um, when you put it at the angle of distressing all the concerns that every normal parent has in the way that sometimes, because I know there's things with Hugh that I could never have asked when I was even 21. But right. now being older and having kids, there's room for opportunity to have, like when we had them on our, our normal podcast, there is things that he still doesn't necessarily confront very often, like when it comes to depression and mental health, but in the right headspace, it's a room for learning for the both of you. You, you know, yeah. he learns that he's able to offer up something of, of value to you and your family. And, and maybe, I, I don't know, I'm just throwing, I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> no, it's, it's good. Unless you get one in the eye, then it's bad. Yeah, that's true. Now, spitball to the eye. <laughs> moving on to, because do you remember when you'd found out that, um, that there was alcoholism in previous generations? Does Not it, really. I don't know if it was just something I always knew and understood. Oh, okay. I don't think it was actually, I feel like as a teenager, um, I was actually a pretty ignorant teenager. Like, I just feel like I was so naive, maybe is a bit of a better word. Like there was just so much about the world that just went right over my head, um, including the fact that, um, you know, my dad's mom had been an alcoholic as well. And so, you know, you start to see a pattern in family. And yeah, I definitely had the thought in my mind that it was something to kind of be on my radar for. Um, and I had seen, you know, I had, by this point, you know, the adults aren't trying to like hide when they're getting drunk. You're a teenager and you're old enough and you get it or whatever. And so right. I slowly became more and more aware, you know, you go to a wedding and all of your uncles get drunk or whatever, you know. Um, so it was just kind of something I think I gradually became aware of. I don't think it ever was like a throw the lights on and hurt my retina kind of moment. <laughs> I've never heard it put that way. That's good though. <laughs> um, so, and I mean, we talked a little bit off air about this, but there, I, and maybe it's because I know you, but I, you, you've never struck me as the type of person who needed alcohol yeah i know so when i was i don't know there was a phase when i was just out of university and i had some life stuff going on and i started looking into um adult children of alcoholics and um there were just these kind of characteristics that were really interesting to me to see in these different things but I never really thought of myself as an alcoholic. I was definitely on my way there. But in high school, I had a really good, like, good student, good girl group of friends, and they um, didn't drink. And so I just didn't drink. Like, I'm such a lemming, I guess. <laughs> but we started going to parties, I think, in, like, grade 11 or grade 12. And they had older siblings there who had alcohol. And, 
you know, if someone offered one to me, I would take a sip or I would finish a drink, but I never bought my own alcohol all through high school, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it was just not a thing that really interested me and it was not a thing that my friends did, so I just didn't bother with it. College, university, however, is a totally different story. <laughs> it was like, I was really homesick for the first month or two in college. And then after that, I think my brain decided that I was just going to go party to forget my worries. And that didn't stop for like four years. Oh. Yeah. College was, college was, I went away for school. And so I think for the first time I was 18, I was on my own. I wasn't, wouldn't have to worry about pleasing my parents or having them know um, what was going on in every little corner of my life. And I definitely, definitely stepped out of my little bubble a little bit and became a bit of a party girl. I think I had like this complex, like, I'm not a small town girl. Look at me. I'm fun and cool and <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That's funny. And I could hold my alcohol really well. I don't know why, but it was really unfortunate. Like I can picture myself spending like a hundred dollars on alcohol in one night, which is obnoxious. That's it's like so um, obnoxious. I think of it now and I'm like, oh man, I probably would have had way less student loan debt if I could have just avoided drinking. <laughs> What's interesting, like you talking about this stuff, like remind me of when me and Chris got separated when we were 21 and I pawned my wedding ring off and spent the entire hundred dollars I got on my wedding ring on all alcohol wow. and went to oh, Wisconsin wow. Dells. A hundred dollars worth of alcohol went to Wisconsin Dells. And then um, my mom would borrow me money. I worked at the nursing home and she'd borrow me money to go out in St. Cloud and I would just get hammered and just, yeah, I remember. And she let me or she gave me money to buy a bunch of booze and I got drunk and went to this concert that was in town and I blacked out and my mom took care of me and she just, I mean, I, I don't think she knew what to do with me because I was, that's how I coped with things for that period of time. Yeah, I didn't even amazing. think about that till now. That's interesting. Yeah, the the coping aspect. Yeah. I, I think that carries, I think, well, in small towns, I think there's a lot more coping going on than kids let on. You know, there's, you, you've got a smaller group, so word travels fast, that type of thing. There's rumor mills, there's clicks, there's, there's all kinds of little factors that I think when people look back, go, oh, I guess... Maybe I would go overboard because I wanted people to like me or things yeah. like that. And we, we kind of learn that behavior as, as time goes on. And the added fact that you're now legally allowed to get as fucked up as you want to. It's another, it's, it's just an obstacle that's not there any longer. And for some people, it makes it that much easier to get that much more obliterated. And for me, I'm a, like a true extrovert like being around people and talking to people gives me so much energy and so when i moved away to school and i knew nobody all of a sudden and i had left my my serious boyfriend back at home so i was real mopey about that and i just remember all my roommates and all the other girls on my floor in the door and be like oh come on come on it'll be fun oh don't be such a you know like the first couple months i was like that pathetic girl who stayed in her room talking on the phone to her boyfriend for hours and hours and hours. And then, you know, the first time I went out and everyone was there and they were so excited and it was so happy and everyone had so much fun. And in, I think in my brain, it equated like 
going out and getting drunk at the bar or at the club or whatever, you know, going dancing with the girls and that, that became my brain's way of like being, Hey, guess what? You don't need to be miserable. You don't, you can sure just, just drink and it'll be fun, which is (laughs) so crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and we've, we've talked about that on here, uh, before as well as the, the concept that you're gonna be more willing to dance. If you're drunk, you're going to be more mm-hmm. willing to just g- to get up to harmless debauchery. Um, yeah. if, if you drink for some reason or like you, you've worked so hard all week, you deserve to, <laughs> uh, wreck your, your brain a little bit. Yeah, it's a fascinating sort of, I think the older I get and the longer I'm away from drinking alcohol, the more it just becomes a little bit mind-blowing to me that it's so widely accepted. Like knowing what it does to your brain, to your liver, to your psychology, your mental health, your like every area that it affects, that it's so common. <clears throat> you know, when you have doctors say, um, that's another crazy thing is that uh, you have uh, physicians that will say one or two beers is fine. Or and, have a glass of wine. It's yeah, good exactly. for your heart or whatever. When really all they're saying is it brings your, your heart rate down. You're less stressed. And again, they're equating uh, something that is not good for you uh, yeah. to having some kind of health benefit. Because it's, I mean, out, right, alcohol is a depressant. Like, yeah, it makes sense. It's going to slow things down a little bit, but that's that's not necessarily a good thing all the time. And yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to look to look back on this stuff. Now, um, so you finished college. Um, did you move back home or, or where did you end up after, after college? Yeah, so I... Um, kind of made a surprise move back home because of a situation that was going on that I thought would be temporary, but I ended up staying back home for quite a while. And I suffered a really hard loss, um, the death of a friend of mine, and it hit me really hard. He was actually like someone that I had dated. And um, I kind of went into this spiral of like, well, what's the point of life? So I didn't grow up really with any sort of religious affiliation. So I didn't really have like a comforting view of like, it's okay. He's in a better place. He's in heaven or whatever. You know, I, I really didn't. And it, it broke my heart so much to just not, not know and not have answers to why something's so unfair like he never got a chance to get married or have kids or find his career or just experience all the the life experiences that make it seem full and rich and the weight of the injustice of that weighed really really heavily on me and also i just i had this sensation like i, I don't know i didn't really know how to describe it because again i've never really been much of a spiritual or religious person to that point in my life but I just had this sensation like there's no way that a soul that has had so much influence and energy on the earth just like just ends. Mm. But I had no other explanation for what could happen. And I think that kind of started me on this quest of trying to like look into different 
um, religions and Eastern and Western, you know, kind of Christian and non-Christian and just trying to find answers really. Were, were you Something still drinking sense. as heavily at this time? Like oh, did it yeah. In- oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and I would say it definitely. And this is this is interesting. I was really lucky that nothing really terrible ever happened to me. I never, like, I never blacked out or I never had anything traumatic or was never like taken advantage of while I was drunk or anything like that. I've just avoided those kind of traumatic experiences. Um, and even to the point of like, I made dumb choices, like maybe, you know, like trespassing somewhere that you shouldn't or, you know, whatever, probably I'm sure I hurt some people's feelings or said and did some things I shouldn't do. But so after this, this death of this friend of mine, I definitely just, I started doing dumb things when I was drunk that kind of for the first time, I feel like I experienced that like deep shame of like, what am I doing? It's dumb, but just doing it all over again anyway. Well, and that's interesting. Was there any outside uh, way, like force or influence, I should say, um, that was making you feel like you had, had been drinking more than maybe you should? Or was this kind of a self-realization? I think it was a self-realization. I just noticed myself. So like as a extrovert person who values relationships so much, I just noticed this pattern of like hurting relationships, like and kind of breaking friendships and just doing things that hurt other people. And that's never, like, that's never my intent, um, at least intentionally, you know? Sure. And so I think that that for me was one big flag, but I didn't feel like because I wasn't, you know, because I wasn't hurting anybody, like physically, I wasn't doing anything illegal. I mean, yeah, sometimes I'd throw a little Baileys in my coffee in the morning, but and that was also, again, a point where I was like, do I really need to be drinking in the morning? Probably not. <laughs> I thought but, you said um, uh, you threw little babies in your coffee for a second. <laughs> 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 but no, oh, Bailey's. That that's... brought up some strange vid- visuals there. <laughs> what are all these babies uh, doing in my coffee? Okay. <laughs> that's interesting so um did you do any drinking and uh, seeing this is always a tricky subject drinking and driving anybody who's ever had one or two beers and drove you drank and then drove right technically oh i would get hammered and drive across st cloud yeah so stupid but it, it's it's fun. It's just funny how people say it's, that doesn't count because I wasn't actually drunk when they when they do drink before right. driving. And, but but anyways, did you ever? There was one time where I wasn't like mega drunk, but I feel like I was kind of like I had the like warm and fuzzies, you know, mm-hmm. where I knew I probably shouldn't, but they were shutting down, and it had been a minute since I had my last drink, and so I thought, oh. I'll be okay. But that was that was like one time. And that was actually right before I stopped drinking. Who knows what would have happened if I didn't stop, if I would have just kept... Because I'm not a very decisive person in general. I just kind of let, let things go where they will. And I don't know. I don't know. That's, I don't love playing the what if game, but I could imagine yeah. I would have continuing making bad cho- continued making bad choices if I hadn't stopped drinking. The, uh, something that they say in, in recovery is, um, I hadn't suffered any consequences of that particular thing yet. 
Mm. Right. So it's always in, it's always around the corner. And then of course there are always outliers. People are able to skirt by and, and avoid that stuff. But a lot of people, the longer you do it, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a numbers game. But, but anyway, so, I mean, you know, you're, you're, dealing with some pretty heavy things, you know, I, I think I kind of remember what you were alluding to as to going back home. Um, but then, you know, dealing with a loss and, and you'd kind of already been in the swing of things as to your, the, the schedule of drinking or knowing where its place fits in your schedule. Um, and then starting to have these existential questions, um, when did the uh, the LDS church come into play for you? Right, um, which is such a bizarre twist in my life story, to be perfectly honest. I avoided a lot of Christian religions just because I felt there was a lot of hypocrisy. And um, I think also when my dad was kind of coming back away from recovery, he was so... Um, you guys have brought up how the AA program is not like on paper, not explicitly religious, but there's definitely all of those overtones that can be present for people if that's their tendency. 100%. And my, I feel like my dad came out the other side, very Christian. Um, and so like mm -hmm. when it was like our weekend to go stay with my dad, we would, he would like bring us to church. And I remember it being really like, I'm like, I like the music, but the rest of this is boring. Like as a kid, right? <laughs> I don't mind anyway. having a cigarette with everyone afterwards, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I just remember it feeling kind of like weird and forced. And why do we have to do this? And we don't have to go to church with mom. And, but I don't know. Anyway, so there's kind of just that like little weird stint where I was like, oh, okay. Well, AA made my dad really religious, but whatever. He's my dad. <laughs> um Anyway, and so I just had some real confusing, mixed up feelings about any kind of religion. I tended a little bit more towards Eastern religions. I was reading a lot about Taoism and Buddhism and um, existential crisis, backtracking to find the question. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, where, how did you end up at, at the oh, LDS yeah, 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 church? Yeah. Right. And so um, honestly, it was a, uh, I happened to be walking to work one day. I had three jobs at the time. I think I was just working to distract myself because I never found the answers to my existential crisis and my uh -huh. questions. And so I just was like, fine, I'm going to throw myself into these three jobs and I'm just not going to have time to worry or think about it. Like I literally worked from like 5 a.m. till 10 p.m. Wow. a lot of days. And um, that worked pretty well. And then one day these two little kids in white shirts and ties came riding their bikes down the street. And I was like, oh, those look like people who are going to try to convert me to go to church. <laughs> 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 like back home in our small town, we'd like call each other and be like, hey, they're missionaries. Like if they knock on your door, don't answer the door. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I had this real negative, just even though I'd never met a Latter-day Saint or a Mormon in my life, I like had this real negative impression, but they are persistent, chipper little folks missionaries are. And they, uh, hey, hello, whatever. And they got chatting to me and they just asked me a question that was, you know, just because everything was still kind of raw. 
they asked me this question that if Jesus is who he says he is, or first they asked me, do you know who Jesus is? I'm like, ah, rah, rah, rah. there's a Bible. <laughs> People say these things, whatever. Like, I'm trying to get to work, get out of my way kind of a thing. But then they said, well, if he is, like you say, people say he's the savior of the world and he died on the cross for us or whatever. If that's true, would that be important to you? Mm. And that just felt like a really weighty question. You know, I was like, well, holy Havana. Like, yeah, I suppose <laughs> like if that is true. And I had up till that point, not really given it a whole lot of thought on whether it was true or not. Um, I'm like, yeah, I guess if it is true, that probably would be a pretty significant thing to know. <laughs> sure. And so I kind of, and so I started studying with them. And the first thing, man, my first impression of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was super negative. Like, I was just like, oh, sure, 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 sure. Let's all believe these crazy tales. Um, no, thank you. <laughs> but I let them come back one more time. And they talked about something that um, is described in the church as the plan of salvation. And for the first time in all of my questing around for answers about what happens to people's soul, it felt like the first thing that made some sense in my heart of hearts. Like, or at least it sounded, um, it just seemed more just, I guess. And to just summarize real quickly what I'm talking about for people who aren't familiar with um, these beliefs is that there's a belief that we lived before earth, we come to earth, we have these experience, we go through tests and learning, and some of us will have the opportunity to make these covenants with God, and then there will be an afterlife, and um, everything that you never got to have on earth, you will kind of have an opportunity for, and you will be assigned to an appropriate level of glory, or, uh, you know, whatever your, your heaven kind of looks like. Um, and so, I don't know, something about it just seemed really fair and just, and I don't know. Anyway, and so long story longer, <laughs> I kept learning, I kept going to church, and it felt like a good place, and they were good people, and um, one of the, you know, core um, principles of someone who's really active in the church community would be that they don't drink alcohol getting back to the whole point of the podcast because sure. this w is not Were there any <laughs> other adjustments in your life beyond drinking that that had to be adjusted? <laughs> I think it'd be easier to describe what didn't need adjusting to be honest. <laughs> um, so it really, I mean, it threw my friends and family for a total loop. Like I remember being at a wedding and having somebody like, so I heard you got baptized into a church. What is up with that? And I was like, well... well well, because <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it was a total just out of left field kind of, you know, one of those sliding doors type situation where this one moment kind of changes the trajectory. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so they don't, they don't drink alcohol. I should say we technically but anyway <laughs> well as it pertained it's, to that time it, i i get why you're saying it that way so you know no alcohol no cigarettes no coffee no premarital sex no working Hold or on. spending money on sundays 
you're telling me <laughs> that you that, never mind keep going <laughs> um, you know, pay 10% of your income to the church. And so it, there was, there, I mean, oh, and I used to cuss and swear like a sailor. Um, 10%, just, like, that's your beer money. Well, yeah, I guess that solves that problem, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it was easy math. No, but um, so there was, there was definitely a lot. There was a lot, a lot. And th the hardest thing actually was... Um, I just, I literally thought it was impossible for people to not drink coffee. I just thought, I'm like, who does that? Why would you ever? What kind of God makes you want to stop drinking? <laughs> that just doesn't make sense. Nope, not doing it. Goodbye. And I thought that was the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, I mean, so when it came time to, um, I mean, to bring it back to the reason why I wanted to ask that question was, um, it seemed like, um, not drinking anymore wasn't i mean maybe i'm downplaying it but what what was that did that decision seem like it more made sense or was it a little bit of a struggle um it was it was easy i don't remember honestly struggling with it one bit coffee was hard to quit but alcohol just seemed like something i was like um that's fine like i can do without that and i can just not have alcohol in my home and i'll just not go I'll just not go partying and that that'll be fine and it was kind of a lonely space actually i remember after i stopped drinking um some of my friends and and family too i think felt uncomfortable around me because i was choosing not to drink um and i think that we probably all feel a little bit of judgment like you know, someone says they put their kid in a private school and you're like, well, what's wrong with public school? My kids go to public school. They're fine. You know, like a little bit of like, well, oh, you think it's so evil, but it's something that I do. And so I think sure. there was just this kind of inherent tiptoeing around each other. And you guys have kind of alluded yeah. to your curiosities of how that will be in your sp social space. Now do you that mind if I, if I sidetrack for just a second? I love side tangents. They're great. <laughs> so Kim, I hadn't thought of this, but um, what what would what did it feel like when Hugh and Lenine started to learn to figure out that we were drinking? I hated them? it. I hated it. It made me uncomfortable. Did it like? Would you get up? Did it feel like you were upset, or that you were just like, what what was that like? Because I I I've, I saw it a couple of times, um, but it was more on my end because I did it out in the open. I felt a lot of shame because I mean, especially last summer, you know, with your parents getting the lake house, we would sneak drink out there. Well, I would sneak drink and then I would, I fell on the lake after surgery, after, you know, just oh, dumb right. things. And your dad would play it off and make jokes about it. Like, Oh, remember when you did this and did that and like try and make, but I would feel a lot of shame. Yeah. And I know your parents weren't looking like looking down on me like, oh, what is she doing this and that? That's the funny thing, though, when when you have when you hold people in higher regard because you know that they don't indulge in certain vices, yeah. you can't help but feel like even though they don't um, they don't look down. They don't actually look down. No, on you, not at it's all. It's still a degree of separation. Yeah. And so it's, you know, like you're saying, it's easy to play off and joke about. And because they're able to play it off and joke about it, almost makes it kind of worse because they're bringing it up. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's very interesting. I, yeah. I hadn't thought about that until until you kind of raised that point, Jack Jack. Yeah. It's, but I, I think that's a fascinating thing about what we think other people are thinking about us. And sometimes we're on point and sometimes we are way off. Oh, yeah. And so from what I know about Hugh and Lenine, like they they love your guts. They love all their kids, you know, even when they're making dumb choices. Like I remember being around for some of these dumb <laughs> choices and <laughs> like they're just so like family is so important to them. And I was always impressed by um I don't know how they were able to like gather family around and like just try to make these fun evenings in the house and just kind of create that like there's a space for you here atmosphere and so but uh, we can't sometimes i feel like we can't help but feeling shame when we think we're disappointing someone that's what it is disappointment that's what i felt yeah Mm -hmm. yeah you know what i think um a a point i I wish i would have brought this up to mom when, when we had him on um when Josh was away for his first Christmas as a missionary, um, I had been, I guess all of us had been drinking, sneaking uh, wine out of, uh, brought some boxed wine and uh, we were drinking it out in, in the driveway and and then people would come back in um, and I just brought mine back in and uh, I think, I don't know if it was called FaceTime or Josh was video calling um, and mom was super stressed out and she came and sat next to me and she took my cup without saying anything and, and took a big gulp of it and then gave it back to me. (laughs) And then later, remember she was like, what did you? And she tried to play it off. Like it was like, like, like I had tricked her somehow, but I think we do this thing in our family where we we enjoy like we truly enjoy denial and like this blissful ignorance because Mm -hmm. it's you're denying this potential bad thing to have any headspace any real real estate in your head and uh so i i think i think people the right amount of pain will make good people do anything. Mm. Not that drinking inherently makes you a bad person. Because as Dr. Drew says, it's not the drugs that are bad. It's the circumstances. It's the circumstances and the, and the, the host that can just create um, a bad situation. I have a quick question for Kim, if I can interject there for a second. Yeah. Um, Kim, I know that you've said in past podcasts that you feel like Chris was a really high-functioning alcoholic but were there ever moments where you felt like maybe he was just he was off or he was kind of like mood or something like did you have moments where you knew the way that he was acting was because of alcohol and like did that make you feel like annoyed or frustrated or sad or like there are times where he would drink a lot and it was when he would drink vodka he'd get this type of anger and you could see it in his eyes where he didn't even look like the same person and we would argue about something just stupid and he would get so angry about it and like twist my words and then it would make me feel stupid because i'm like am i not saying things right and then i would feel really bad and but then i have to be like well no he's intoxicated and he's saying it like this but then he'd be like no you're doing this and 
he would just be mean and i well do you get she was saying at so like points when you didn't see me drinking and you was there and i think there were times when you thought that there was something a little fishy that's interesting i was actually asking about like leading up to that so you were answering the question the way i was thinking oh i'm sorry I, i thought you were saying a sneaking suspicion of I misunderstood. No, and then there was no, like okay. points where like Josh's bachelorette party where Chris was so intoxicated and he was like trying to pull his pants down and I mean doing weird brother things, but it's like I almost felt ashamed of the way he was acting and like and you could tell like Sean and Josh were just kind of over it and the other boys were drunk too, but Chris was like constantly trying to pull his pants down and you know, trying to talk to him on the phone when he's at this bachelor. Well, party. to get more specific, because that sounds weird when you just say I'm just trying to pull my pants down. <laughs> we were we were in Sean's truck, and uh, I thought it would be funny to put my balls on Josh's shoulder. Yeah, see, which it would have been. Would have been. I don't hilarious. think it's you know. I still even sober now, but so just for context, I'm okay. not pulling okay. my pants yeah, down yeah, yeah. in public. But then like. He came back to the house and we're all hanging out at the house and then he just goes passes out for hours and it's just like man like it's just fresh yeah stuff like that where it's Well you're you're having so the burden those... Oh sorry you're you're having the burden of not only people being disappointed in me but I'm not even conscious enough to be yep. aware of that. So you, I'm having to the... answer for that and then making sure the kids are okay and taking care of the kids. And it was just like, th- that was one of the breaking moments where I'm like, I don't, th- I'm done with this. I can't deal with it anymore. And in those moments, like, did you feel, um, did you feel like you wanted to blame Chris or were you blaming the alcohol? Oh, like, Chris, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because then you can see, like, I don't know, I'm throwing, I'm blasting people, but I was drinking, but he came back to the house, not, like, overly intoxicating, not passing out, going down to the lake, fishing, you know, able to hold it together, and then there's my husband who drank way too much. I saw how much he spent at this, you know, he went to some golf tour thing that they had here, some PGA oh, yeah. tour, and he spent at least $100 on alcohol, and I was so upset about that, like... And then it's like, well, it's his brother's bachelor party, but his brother doesn't even drink. Like, what's going on? You know, where it's just like, and yeah, I felt like there was a lot of answering to the way Chris was acting when he would be drinking at his parents' house. Mm. Because because that was one of your parents' rules, right? Is that they, I feel like what you do on your own time is kind of your business, but when you're under their roof, they yeah. would ask you to not drink. Yeah. And so... You would be, isn't that weird? Like as a grown adult, you're like trying to come up with excuses, but that's a, it's like yeah. in your brain somehow, it's like not an option to just not drink. I think right? that's one, well, one thing that allowed, I think allows my parents to open up to me a little more. And I'm not trying to say that my parents aren't like an open book. It's, you know, if you want to ask these questions, go ahead and ask them. But one thing that I think allows them to be more open with me is the fact that I've been so upfront with them. Like, because before you weren't supposed to swear in front of mom and dad. And I was just like, I'm sick of adjusting my speech, you know. And then with the the drinking thing, I was like, you know what? And obviously it's different looking back hindsight. But um, well, if I had been responsible, if I had figured it out then, um, 
it, it, I could see how I don't think any adult should have to answer for unless it's it's causing harm to you know their yeah but would you say Landon and Layla so we're sober house now would you be okay with them coming home and doing methamphetamines in our house methamphetamines I'm saying it's a drug alcohol is a drug okay you're being facetious because those are you're a facetious two, two completely different things <laughs> I'm not. Go- okay. I'm not okay with anybody doing methamphetamine. I'm not either. But what if? So we have a sober house, and then you know we just have a. They start of, bringing. They booze start bringing home? booze home. I mean, I, I I'm not even against you drinking. No. I appreciate and value the I'm fact that you. I'm against myself drinking. Yeah. See, and that's. But the the more that we have this kind of defiant rule, which I think played into the fact that I would say, you know what, this is bullshit. I don't want to tiptoe around mom and dad. I'm still a good person and like ha, ha, like created these situations where I'm having to justify something that doesn't actually need to be justified at all. Yeah. But so, to I mean, answer your question, you're long. I have some potentially bad news. So the microphone says card full. You, you've asked before um, about... Uh, people's addictions regarding things that are non-substance related, mm-hmm. meaning uh, non, uh, non-mood non or mind-altering substances. What is it about that that makes you curious? Like, do, I feel like you, you ask certain questions in a way that you're curious as to, is there an addict within you and what right. is it that you're addicted to? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's an, it's really interesting. <laughs> um, I think that there are a few people who analyze things in a similar way as I do. And I feel like you're one of those people. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> um, so I think that, um, so one of the characteristics of uh, adult children of alcoholics is they tend, there's lots of them. There's like these 14 um, things that they, you know, something something if you look it up but one of them is that they tend to really want to please people Ah. and kind of go like above and beyond um and for some kids i know that that's probably because they don't want to start a fight or whatever i don't really know why i think i always felt like my dad was disappointed in me or i don't know why which is dumb because he's always bragging on on um his kids and but I just had this weird insecurity about it. And even now I want people to like me and I find myself being way too concerned about making sure people like me and um, like just being an overachiever is something else that I feel like has um, kind of just been with me. And so the psychology of all of that is just really fascinating because I feel like we're all just trying to be happy, right? In life. I don't know. That's probably not the simple goal. I feel like my, my views on life and the afterlife are kind of evolving again, where I'm not really sure. Um, I think, I, I think in, in a broad sense that, that, that works though. You're trying to make it through life in the least painful way possible. Yeah. And so sometimes I guess I just see like myself making these really bad decisions. So um, this is not something I talk about a lot, but after my second child, 
even though I had a really positive and healthy like pregnancy and labor and delivery, um, several months after I had her, I was starting to have really severe anxiety. And um, to the point where I was having these panic attacks and I was feeling claustrophobic all the time and I was really overstimulated all the time and just like having a hard time catching my breath. And when I went to talk to my midwife about it, one of the first things she said was to stop drinking caffeine because apparently when I stopped drinking coffee, I just replaced it with Coke and not the powdery. Damn it, I was going to make that. <laughs> no um and so um and again i had this really hard thing where i like i quit for a minute but but pretty soon i was like oh i'm tired i'm gonna have a coke you know and so even though i'm still kind of working to balance out my anxiety and even years later i still you know have these tendencies to have these panic attacks i i drink like i think i've had four cans of caffeinated soda today mm. which is it's not an energy drink but and it's not and it's fine if people want to drink 10 cans of coke a day that's your business but for me i know that it's a bad choice because it makes me stay up later than i should and it make which makes me tired which makes me cranky which makes me yell at my kids which makes them grumpy which makes me grumpy and it just turns into this whole cycle of ridiculousness and it starts with my decision to just like pop that can. And it's just so satisfying to like, it sounds so silly. <laughs> no, I, so that, if, I oh. wish you could see Kim and I's faces because I our eyes just, love yeah. a nice ice cold diet Coke. There's nothing. I told Chris, I'll give up alcohol. That's not even a problem. You ask me to give up diet soda, we'll have a problem. Which is yeah. crazy, which is crazy because in my head, I'm like, that means that's an addiction. For you know real. Yes. It's funny. So when I, I went to my uh, nurse practitioner, is that right? Yeah. Your um, primary provider. Primary provider and told her that I was quitting drinking. And she goes, you going, you going to get help? I said, nope. She's like, all right, well, I'll give you some hydroxyzine. Should help with the, like, the and she was very dismissive, but I don't what? know how many years ago when I told her that I was going to start, I was going to stop drinking uh, caffeine. I was going to stop drinking sodas because I think I had upped the amount of energy drinks or something. And she took that so seriously. She was like, the second you get a headache, it's okay. You can have a little, have a little bit of the soda. You want to oh, wean yourself off and was took that way more serious than she did me when telling her that flat out that I was an alcoholic and that I was trying, I was going through withdrawals. And again, that's like, there's this weird culture in our society currently where alcohol is like, like expected. Like if you haven't had a drink by the time you're, you turn 21, you know, if you live in the States and that's your legal drinking age, if you haven't had a drink by then, then you're weird. You've got to have, you've got to have an explanation yeah. like a yep. religious ideas or health condition or B you're weird. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I find that bizarre. There's so few things that society just generally sees as like an integral process of growing up or just being alive. You know, it's, it's weird to me, even though it's so harmful, like to me, I equate drinking with like, because in my experience, it's losing your family. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. And the stakes are high, but people just continue to like 
you know, I have so many friends in my life and family members like that are just still like, you know, oh, I'm so hungover. I'm never going to do that again. And then a week later when they do it, they're like, ha ha ha. I remember last week when I said I wasn't going to do that again. Well, here I am with my box of wine. Like, yeah, I think people, if people could see the serious negative effects it can have on people, like the family member that I've previously talked about, um, they had alcohol withdrawal seizures significant seizures i watched yeah. them seize in my car on our way from one er to another er because that doctor thought it was just um dehydration but didn't ask the right questions we got to the other er and where i work now and oh shoot can you edit that out i can bleep it out that's fine okay the person that um was there stuck their tongue out and the doctor straight up goes you're going through alcohol withdrawal seizures or alcohol withdrawals the only time your tongue will ever stick or um shake like that is when you're going through alcohol withdrawals and then walked out of the room and i was like who is this person they don't know this person who's that doctor you think he is and i was pissed and then come to find out i had to bully that person into admitting that they were drinking never knew three years had no idea and I had to bully them or else they hurt or that person couldn't get treated because they couldn't. You can't treat something if you don't, you know. Yeah. So that was a crazy experience in that I work with that doctor now all the time and I highly respect him. Like I thought he he was such a jerk. I'm like, who can talk to somebody like that? And it was like, oh, because this is serious. Cause, and he said, these are the only withdrawals from a drug that will kill you. You will die. And I see, I see it in the ER, you know, you see people go through delirium. They're hallucinating. They are, you know, they get encephalopathy where they're going to die because they're going through withdrawals. It's so hard to explain it to people. Like it's so serious. It's so scary seeing 30 year olds going through withdrawals where they have delirium and they're hallucinating or, you know, it's crazy. They're having seizures. Yeah. Because it messes with all your electrolytes. like Yeah. It's just, and I think for a lot of people, it causes like such mental health problems, right? Because oh, if sure. you are consistently, you know, we talked a little bit about feelings of shame or feeling like you've disappointed people or you're feeling regret over dumb choices that you've made. Or sometimes maybe even you've entered yourself into a dangerous situation. But like they just keep going back and people continue to pressure them to go back. And it's, it's, it really is baffling to me that something that is so unhealthy and causes such great risk to so many people is not just like, it's just so encouraged. And so, well, and it's like on every corner, like I didn't, I knew alcohol was everywhere, but when Chris was in treatment, our drive to go visit him, it was like one day I pointed it out to Chris's dad. I'm like, Right there, right there, right there on every corner. I'm like, you know, when people use other drugs, methamphetamines, opiates, stuff like that, they have dealers. They know who their dealers are in the area. Chris's dealers everywhere. The bowling alley, the movie theater, you know, some malls, this and that. It's like, holy crap. It's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like, but that um, when people are are going through withdrawals and, and, and all of that, like delirium and all that fantastic stuff i think the scary another scary thing and why people seem to get physical or put themselves in harm's way is because you're in your own home and something feels different but you're the same so it's got to be somebody else they point a lot of that stuff outward like if somebody's going through 
withdrawals, like to, they try to do the cold turkey thing, right? Ugh, which, or they try to cut yeah. back and they don't realize how much they were drinking beforehand. Yeah. And, and yeah, so by the time they get to the hospital, they're already in such bad shape because they've they've kind of created I, this and other I thing think too. that people don't talk about it. Like yeah. I had no idea till I started working in the area I do how serious it is. Like you hear about it a little bit in nursing school, but what if they taught it in health class? Yeah. Like look at here when you go through withdrawals from alcohol, this is what's gonna this can potentially happen to you. You will die. It is very life threatening. You can come off a of heroin. You'll feel like crap. Really, you'll you'll feel like you want to die, but it won't kill you. But alcohol coming off of it, if you are a heavy user, will kill you. Like, why don't they teach that in health class? Maybe no. kids need to know that. Kids are afraid of, you know, meth because they see, you know, what it does to your parents, what it does to your teeth, stuff like that. But if they saw people having hallucinations and stuff like that because they're coming off of alcohol, maybe they would think differently about it. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Jackie, do you mind if we take a pee break? <laughs> yeah, I mind. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, ground control to Major Tom. Your microphones must be truly fancy because they pick up flatulence. You heard me fart? <laughs> yes. That's amazing. Did you fart in the bathroom? No, I farted at the front of the door there. Gross. That's hilarious. I'm leaving that in for sure. Um, okay, let's let's get back to the the important things here. Um, have your have your children met your father? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. My my kids love my dad. He is a very we talk all the time. I think just over the years becoming adult, especially once I got married and I mean, I, I love and adore my dad and my kids love and adore him. And he's, I feel like he's, it's so great. He's like a big kid. He really is. And I love knowing that like, he's not burdened down by that, that he's not you know, miserable or at the mercy of alcohol and that he's just free to be his like fun loving self. And I love my dad. I proudly like he comes to visit us and I'll introduce him to all the neighbors and everyone who's ever met my dad is like, I love your dad. He's so nice. He's so friendly. He's so fun. And it's true. He has a fantastic personality and and I feel really lucky to have that because I know a lot of families get broken up and they're, like you said, um, like Kim said, you know, people show up and they're disconnected from their families. They've disowned them. They don't know their grandkids. And that's so sad. Yeah. Well, and I mean, one, one of the, the guys that I was in, in treatment with um, was a part of this. They, at the facility that I was at, they have a family program um, where uh, some of the, the addicts, uh, go and some, so if you're a family member who has somebody who's in treatment currently, or within the last six months has been in treatment, you can be a part of this, uh, this family program where it's kind of like recovery for the family members. It's similar uh -huh. to Al-Anon, but it's more, um, like immersed, I would say. And I think education. And educational too. They have a lot of education, and they have a kids program too, which we didn't do with our kids because I don't think they like. Have you talked to Landon and Layla about like where you were at and why you were there? Yeah, 
Like alcohol, though? Yeah. Oh. You didn't know that? Mm-mm. Oh. You said you have something inside you that you feel like... No, yeah. I remember I took Landon on a walk. Oh. When we were at, at, at treatment. But but anyways, back to the, the family thing. Um, so... So is it for, like, kids and family to kind of, like, decompress kind of a thing or, like, to know how to support them? Like, is it more yeah, for so it's, the family's health or more for them to be able to support their... There's a lot of um, stereotypes and preconceived notions um, for family members. And, and like I've said before, where it's a, it's a disease of choice in that you chose to drink in the first place, but you had no idea the reaction that your body was going to have to it and how deeply it was going to cling to it. So it's, it's a choice, but once it grabs a hold of you, not a choice. Right. So people, because you are the vehicle with which, you know, this thing is manifesting these, these problems that are happening at home at work and, and in the family. Um, and to have so many examples of quote unquote normal drinkers, it just like there there's alcoholics, especially are, are vilified and, um, yeah. And made, made to feel that they should be able to get over it. So the family program seeks to break that stereotype and truly educate people as to as to what's going on with their uh, their family members. Um, and so this this friend of mine, or he's now a friend of mine, um, was in there. And so that's the other thing is they mix up addicts in there with these family members so that they can ask them questions. Um, mm. And because it's not a, one of your family members... And they have no idea if you're in the same unit as their family member. Um, they kind of get a uh, an un. I guess they don't. They don't. They're not trepidatious in the questions that they ask this person because there's no connection to them at all. And so, yeah, there's no like offense defense. It's just uh, right, right. Yeah, because I feel like that happens a lot. Where even when people are trying to have honest conversations, you know, when there are tender feelings, someone can get offended and then someone gets defensive and then you just can't have that open conversation well and you know some people would would want to say like you go and tell steve that he needs to come home and this and that (laughs) there there are people that would act like that um but the the main point that my friend uh because the first day that he went it's it was an all-day thing he looked just completely drained and he could not believe the things that these uh, these women had been through and how many of them were willing to still stick it out. So the, mm-hmm. the group that he had, there were just a bunch of, like he, he just couldn't wrap his head around how just intense it was, the, the things that, that they'd, they'd been through and the fact that they were willing to to stick around. And so it was, it gave he and I like a really unique perspective to learn that, you know, we're here to, to heal, but something that changed within us that day was that we, I think, I don't know if you remember this phone call, but I said, um, we know that you guys are holding back and you're being strong for us. So at that point we were like, 
I want you to know that you can start to little by little, like I'll let you know if it's too much for me, but you can start to kind of unpackage the shit that you're going through because we're closed off from everything in here. I did hold back. I didn't open up a lot when you were, I didn't want to add another stressor to your plate when you were there. Yeah. But I was dealing with two sick kids trying to manage bills without you working not getting short-term disability then all the covid stuff started to happen mm-hmm. kids got taken out of school and i'm like i'm gonna about to check myself in somewhere myself here pretty soon jackie uh we have we have filled our hour is is there anything else are there any other questions or anything you've, you've got for kim and i before we we end this shindig no i'll email them to you later if i do <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, well, thank you so much. Uh, we, we love you and miss you. And, uh, hopefully once all of this, uh, disease nonsense is, is over, we can, uh, reunite in person. Yes. Yeah. That's well, Kim and I can share a diet Coke (laughs) and we can let our kids run wild and yeah, it'll be great. It'll be great. Beautiful. Uh, as always, please, uh, like share and subscribe. Uh, we're available wherever you listen to your podcast, including uh, recently being added to iHeartMedia, uh, one of the largest podcast platforms in the world. Um, very excited to be a, a part of that. And um, YouTube as well. Please go and um, all of those views and subscriptions make a, a pretty big difference um, in, in the long run for us. Um, you know, if, if we're able to offset any of the costs that, that comes with uh, having a podcast, hosting a podcast, um, that, would, that would mean the world to us. Um, and it means the world that you guys listen. Uh, so if you have any questions, email them, duckduckgrayduke at gmail.com. That's duckduckgrayduke, as in the college, um, at gmail.com. And then duckduckgrayduke, all things social media. Um, all right. Well, uh, do you want to say it this time? I always want to say what, what this all pass. Is that it? This too shall pass. Is that what you're thinking? You. <clears throat> okay. What is it again? Do you want me to do it? <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> all righty. And with that, we will pass.